Good morning. The reading today is out of Jeremiah 29, 10, 1 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have, de I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, call and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Father, we come and we, we ask that you would just move in our hearts. We've celebrated this last week, watching the kids learn about you and play and, and celebrate life. But now we, we all sit under your word and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will move in us, that you will show us Jesus. And I pray that you would profoundly impact each one of us. And I ask that you would get all the glory and we could experience a joy as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Eric. Good morning. <clears throat> so recently I was doing some rough math with Marty and he and I were just considering the towns that we live in, uh, especially the two towns where our two congregations are in Randolph and Royalton. And, um, we know many of the churches in our towns and the towns that border Royalton and Randolph. And so we decided to do some attendance math. And the math that we came up with was about 2% of our towns attend a evangelical church or any evangelical church. Uh, so it probably means that a little bit less than that are professing believers. And in doing that math, it, it shed some light on... <clears throat> Thank you. It sheds some light on how our towns and the areas in which we live compare to other parts of the world. It put us on par with places like North Korea or places like India that is predominantly Hindu or countries like Italy that is 85% or so Catholic or places like Saudi Arabia, uh, China. Uh, for obvious reasons, um, these places are unreached. And in the towns, I'm sure it's not surprising to you to learn that the towns in which we live are unreached. Uh, John Piper, a pastor and author, he says that missions exist because worship does not. There are people who do not know Jesus in the towns in which we live. They do not worship God. And that's why we have an opportunity to engage and reach them our neighbors, our co-workers, the people that we rub shoulders with, with the gospel. And we get to do this together as two local churches as we are gathering this morning. And we got to gather this last week for VBS. 
And something that I've been praying for as one of your pastors is that through our ministry together as two local churches, that those in our towns, every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel because of our partnership in the gospel for them and for each other. And so we had a great time at VBS this week. Thank you for those who came. Thank you for those who served. I think we had just over or around 55 kids that had come at any given point. We had over 35 volunteers, uh, much of which the volunteering happened before VBS or behind the scenes as some are serving even right now and not able to join us here inside this morning. Uh, this week was an opportunity for us to engage the world around us as those who were part, not part of our churches were able to in, uh, enjoy and participate with VBS. And I know that the team is already looking forward to planning, just not tomorrow, uh, for VBS next year. So uh, our theme verse this week was Jeremiah 29, 13. As I told the kids every day, you can look to your right and it's on the wall. Uh, I'll read it and we will pray. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so, God, we thank you that uh, we have an opportunity to gather, that we can spend some time seeking you, being encouraged in your word. God, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word, transform our hearts and conform them more to the image of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our theme this week was searching for Jesus. Uh, we looked at archaeology as a theme, had some cool videos uh, to uh, shed some light on much of the things that we see in the scripture. And they can be backed up by archaeological evidence. Uh, in some sense, the data in the scripture is validated much because of the things that we can learn through science and archaeology. Uh, but I, I was considering it, and the verse that we have for our week, it dawned on me that not many seek Jesus. Nobody seeks Jesus naturally. And these words came to mind from Romans 3, verse 11, where Paul reminds us that no one seeks after God. And we've seen that as we've been studying uh, the book of Genesis for about nine months now, uh, that... Naturally, we as people, we don't seek after God, and we are often tempted to doubt things about God. We're tempted to doubt the things that we see in God's Word, and we've seen over and over again the faithful one in the book of Genesis is God Himself, even in our doubts. And so on Monday, when we started gathering as VBS, uh, we learned that God comes to us in the birth of his son. As I told the kids, you can look to your left. Day one, Jesus was born. Next week, we'll see in the book of Genesis, Judah, one of the sons of Jacob. He'll take a predominantly active role, uh, and he is the one through whom Jesus would come. We celebrated Christmas as summer, as we sang with the kids to start out with. And we're reminded of verses like Isaiah 7, 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
And so the kids, we spent some time in Matthew's chapter 1 and 2, and we saw how this took place. After his mother, Jesus' mother Mary, she was engaged to Joseph, and it was discovered before they had been married and come together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to publicly disgrace her, he decided to divorce her secretly. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared and said these things. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She, is given, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to him. And she named him Jesus, or he named him Jesus. God's promised over and over again, as we've seen over and over again in our study of Genesis, that he would bless the nations, that he would do this through the man Abraham, that offspring would come through Abraham to save including that family from Abraham, uh, all people who believe in Jesus from their sins. And the fulfillment of these promises regarding the birth of the Messiah to bless the nation has happened, as we've been able to see regarding the birth of Jesus, to bless the nations. In God's Word, this testimony of Mary, the testimony of Joseph, the testimony of people that are in your nativity scenes and shepherds and magi, these wise men, can be proven based on history and archaeology. And many of those people were probably still alive when the book was written, can testify, yeah, I was there. These things did take place. On Tuesday, we looked further into the revelation from God through the Bible that Jesus was born, and after about 30 years, he began his ministry. It was revealed more and more through him who God is by displaying God's power. We learn the story of a man who was born blind. These passages in the Old Testament shed light on the circumstances regarding Jesus. In Psalm 146, 8 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Or Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so this story in the Gospel of John in chapter 9, Jesus was questioned by some Pharisees, some religious leaders of, um, about a blind man who was there. And they asked him, was he blind because of his sin or the sins of his parents? Jesus said, though, it was for the work of God to be displayed. And so he spit into the ground and he mixed up some mud. He put it on the man's eyes and he was healed. So lest you think that it's a good idea to 
go find some blind people later this afternoon and spit in the mud and put it spit on the ground and put it on their eyes I would warn you, you you might get kicked by them by doing that so maybe we shouldn't follow that example but this man was healed and the good old Pharisees they wanted to know why after a long exchange, Jesus silenced them, and he said this to them and the man. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him, speaking of the blind man. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see me may see, and those who see may become blind. But some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And so God continues to reveal His power. He continues to reveal Himself to His people through His power. And He also calls out these sinning Pharisees in the process who don't see, like us, before we believed and Jesus didn't see. We see this revelation that Jesus not only has power to heal someone physically, but he has the power to save someone from their sins. That's what we all need. For those who believe it already, that's what we used to need. When the Gospel of John was written, this man, this blind man, was probably still around, still living. Some of the Pharisees were still around, could confirm the things that took place. The disciples who were with him could confirm the things that took place. God's Word is true, friends, that God continues to reveal himself to us, and we can respond to him in faith as we see him. Wednesday took a turn. We learned how Jesus was rejected and betrayed by those who were closest to him. Psalm 49, 41.9 says, Even my close friends, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And Isaiah, a couple verses later, in verse 7, says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. We learned in the Gospel of God, John how Jesus knew he would be betrayed, even by those whom he loved even by those whom he walked with with three years. He invested in for three years. The Jewish leaders would deliver him over to the Romans. He was delivered over to the ones who didn't get an answer when they wanted from Jesus, and then the blind man was healed. He was betrayed by those who were closest to him when they asked whether they were his disciples. He was denied by those whom he loved and he was closest to. He was utterly shamed when he was crucified on a cross, sentenced to the most excruciating death, alone, betrayed, forgotten. But in God's grace, he shows us these truths in the Bible, in his word, so that we may understand and comprehend just what Jesus did for us.
the evidence for the crucifixion is overwhelming. The historians in the first century, there's many of those that are not even believers in Jesus, wrote an account of the things that took place to validate the things that took place that Jesus did truly die on a cross. In the Romans, they perfected crucifixion. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that Jesus had died. But on Thursday, we learned that what this death and betrayal meant for us, specifically through Jesus' resurrection. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. <clears throat> Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 9 in Isaiah 53 continues and says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. We continued in the Gospel of John on Thursday where Jesus died but he and he was buried and this took place in John chapter 20 starting in verse 1 now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the one the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved and said to them they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. So sadness and betrayal and death, the grave, it could not hold Jesus. He prophesied that he would rise from the dead after three days, and you may be wondering or know somebody who has wondered, could this really happen? Some of you believe that it has happened. And here is where we all need to make a decision. We have two options in my mind. The first is that we believe what Jesus did. Therefore, we should believe what he said to do and actually do it. To obey him. To live a holy life. To tell others about him. The other option is we don't believe what he did. And we're free to continue to disobey. That's the natural thing that you do when you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But there is no middle ground. There is no uh, option to say that we believe Jesus rose from the dead and not follow what he's called us to do. The Apostle Paul said this in his letter to the Corinthian church. 
In verse, chapter 15, verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You may be asking, well, why would we be pitied if he did not raise from the dead? Well, it's not natural if it's some, something like this happens, where a hundred or so people gather on a Sunday morning in central Vermont to worship God, to sing songs about Him, to pray, to wake up on a Sunday morning, to be told things from the Scripture. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're wasting our time. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be pitied. And Paul earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 told us of a multitudes of people, hundreds of people who saw Jesus after his resurrection. When he wrote those words, when the Gospel of John was written, those people could have said, nah, it didn't happen. But they didn't. And so we can trust that God's word is true. The events that we have an account of the resurrection changed the course of the world. If Jesus didn't do what he said he would do in rising from the dead, he was one of three options. He was a liar. He was a lunatic. As C.S. Lewis would say, the other option is that he is Lord. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've read those books or have watched the movies, said this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, speaking of Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his great about being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Church, we know what Jesus did. We believe what he said he would do. We believe that he rose from the dead and we get to live in light of that truth. And the evidence, as the kids learn this week, is overwhelming and it cannot be ignored. On Friday, we saw the implications of this life of Christ, that God is revealing himself to us, that God is giving us grace to seek him. 
God is giving us grace to understand the things about him. God is giving us the grace to respond to the call on our lives as we respond in faith. We must remember who Jesus is. We must remember what he came to do. And we must remember that he did what he said he would do. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he is taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of his people, for us. In Acts 8, the kids saw a deacon of the early church on a road. He met a man from Ethiopia reading this passage from Isaiah. And this man did not understand what was happening. He had no context. And so this took place in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and he saw him no more. And they went on his way, rejoicing. And so Philip helped this Ethiopian man understand what he was reading in the Bible. And that's what we do here every day. That's what we do in East Randolph every Sunday. That's what we invite you to do as we join together as God's people and understand God more and more as he reveals himself in his word. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll just keep wandering in circles. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Without the grace of God in our lives, we will keep reading His Word and we'll have difficulty understanding it and applying it. But we do have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can seek to understand, we can seek to obey, we can seek to submit. And we can see through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can understand, that we can obey, that we can submit to God as the sovereign God we've seen over and over, right, in the book of Genesis. Who called a man, Abraham, who is faithful to keep his promises to this man and the generations that would come after him, ultimately leading through this man's lineage, through this man, Abraham's lineage, to Jesus who would end up on the cross for our sins. And we can continue as our theme verse said at that point, to seek Him with all our heart, to know Him, to worship Him, to love Him more each and every day. And so friends, our theme that we saw the last day was that we can trust the Bible. If you have doubts, if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have things that you don't understand, your elders, your pastors, we want to help you. Do we want to respond? Do we want to seek Him? Do we want to believe that it is only through the person and work of Jesus that one is saved from the implications of sin and ultimately the wrath of God? We would love to talk.
to you more about that if you have any questions. And today may be the day of salvation for you. Jesus came. Jesus served. He was betrayed. He died. He rose. In order that he could serve us in the most important way that we needed to be served. To pay the penalty for our sins on the cross and to raise from the dead to give us a new life. How, as we learned in the book of Genesis at the very beginning, men and women were ultimately created to live initially with a right relationship with God. And our response to this salvation, it's going to be to continue to do the same things we've been doing. Like us who have responded to the gospel, the good news of our salvation, we get to participate with God and giving every man, woman, and child a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel. And we're going to continue to do that now as we respond in worship in song. We will continue to do that as we get to fellowship and have a meal together. We'll get to do that as we remind each other of the gospel in our conversations. We'll get to do that as we continue to pray for each other. And we look forward to seeking God and helping others be led to worship Him as well. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we were blessed to be reminded again that your son came in power. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He fulfilled his promises that he would rise from the dead to give us a newness of life and that we can trust in your word and live in light of it. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to worship you through the rest of our day and the rest of our lives as we seek you with all of our hearts. You've given us the ability to do that through the power of your Son. And we thank you that we get to do that together as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.